Are you looking to fine-tune? Whether for your business, your job, your team, or yourself, in each episode, we will be discussing different ideas and opinions using real-world examples to help you see opportunities, innovate, and succeed. Hi, it's Corby Fine, and welcome to Fine Tune. So with me today is, well, actually someone that I often describe as, and he may not know this, in the top 5%. And when I say top 5%, I mean top 5% intelligence, leadership, executive presence. He's probably blushing on the other end of the phone right now. But with me today is John Boynton. Uh, John has a an incredible, incredible career path over 30 years. Again, not to age you, John, but um, I met him uh, as the EVP of marketing and the CMO at Rogers Communications. He's been the CMO at AMIA. He's very recently been the president and CEO of Torstar, which we'll talk a little bit about. And now as the vice chair and president of digital with Nordstar, really trying to, I would say, transform many Canadian organizations into digital first organizations through leadership and experience. John, uh, pleasure to have you today. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. I, I think it's going to be impossible to live up to that introduction. You're not the first guest that said that. So I think I need to change <laughs> the way in which I, I do these. But honestly, um, well deserved and everything I said is true. So, you know, I, I, I've asked you to come on today for one main topic. There is so much going on in the world of digital transformation. And I think. Personally, I've always thought of the term something around the world of, you know, automation, digitizing processes, finding efficiencies in the way you run your business. But today it's evolved and it feels a little bit more around, you know, building new businesses, new business models that maybe even a few years ago weren't even possible. Can you maybe just as a starting point, you know, what is digital transformation mean to you today as really someone who's trying to transform organizations? Sure. You know, it gets thrown out a lot, the word, uh, the phrase digital transformation. And I think you're right. In a lot of cases, it's uh, used to just digitize a company and what they're doing. And uh, every company should be doing that anyways. But there's nothing really super transformative about that. It's just being smart. I think digital transformation is when you're reinventing your business and you're looking for you know, new markets and new businesses and new value props. And you come out the other end, really not looking a lot like, you know, what you did or you spin something off that's completely new and foreign to the uh, host organization. Unfortunately, it does get overused the word, but uh, to me, it's as different as, uh, you know, transforming a business and turning around a business. One's just, for the most part, cost cutting with the same business model. And the other is completely reinventing the company with a whole new business model and revenue stream. Very different. Yeah. So on that ladder, you know, you've spent the last few years, well, I guess we can even go back into your telecommunications days, this notion of, you know, contracts, uh, subscriptions, where organizations have that recurring revenue model with their customer. It seems like everybody's shifting there, th this whole notion of the subscription economy, and you may be better than anyone having been both on the content media side as well as the the carrier side understand that what's going on what is this shift to <laughs> subscription and and why is it so hot well a lot of it is facilitated by the digital but that would be an oversimplification of really some of the underlying trends that are going on i mean the the subscription economy can be driven through 
you know, delivery of a physical product without bricks and mortar, and it can be delivered through uh, digital you know, services. And I, I think more important than the business model, you have to look at the underlying trends of what's going on with consumers. And consumers more and more with the number of choices that they're looking for simplicity. And so the subscription model provides probably the simplest way you can buy, which is completely effortless. So it doesn't just deliver simplicity, but it delivers in an effortless way. People are looking for certainty, especially, you know, in the digital world, but they're certainly looking for certainty as other things in their life become more complicated. Inflation is up and housing is difficult, et cetera. They're looking for fairness, you know, a, a fair price for a large volume of, of good services. They're looking for quality, too, over what's widely available for free out there. So in a lot of cases, people raise eyebrows when they go, well, why would people pay for that when it's, when there's something free? In the, and I think there's starting to become a very slow and gradual separation between things that are user-generated and widely available free paid in advertising and things that are worth paying for on a, on a quality perspective. And then finally, there's something about unrestricted access. And unrestricted access is easily facilitated by the subscription economy. Sometimes it's gated a bit and people are, you know, a little cute about it. But um, I think those are underlying consumer trends. And then you've got other macro trends that, you know, facilitate it. You've got digital, which helps uh, deliver things, at least services, helps deliver service in the way that you couldn't before, you know, physical records to online music that was free through BitTorrent to a bundle of services or unlimited services for a price. The second is experiences. The, the digital economy takes advantage of consumer experiences. And yeah, you can go hunt around for some free music. You used to be able to go to a record store. That was experience. But today, the, the subscription economy is using customer experience or consumer experiences like Netflix or Spotify or some of the news services you see out there to personalize, understand you, uh, deliver things before you even know you needed them. And in a way that has all those underlying trends of simplicity, certainty, fairness, quality, and unrestricted access. So I think those things are sort of crashing together over a period of time. And uh, as people consume a product um, in the subscription economy, one way they get more comfortable and start consuming more product that way as well. And so I think once you've got the comfort of one, it moves on. And I think that's why in the early days, it's a bit of a slow build and then it really accelerates. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think of two personal experiences. And on one hand, talking about the physical goods, I've spoken before about one of my favorite subscription-based physical good products, which is native deodorant. Now everybody knows my scent. But the the experience, to your point of effortless certainty and fairness with quality, I get a great product that I know is good for the environment. I know it's good for my body. I know it does good things. I don't have to worry about remembering to go to the store or buy. It's on a replenishment basis. And the experience that they give me in terms of the way they package, market, etc., really feels special. It, it feels like something I couldn't get at the, at the local drug sure. or grocery store. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a great example. I mean, if you look at the industry that, that I helped, uh, at least uh, Torstar, the company I helped turn around, you think of it from a consumer standpoint, there's just so much information out there and so much news out there. And a lot of it is questionable and user generated, of course, and we all know about that. But there's just huge volumes. And so you really want not to have to go get a bunch of ways to extract it, either through social media or search or others. You just want a place you can go with certainty 
that's simple to consume and digest. It gives you a fair price for it, highly quality related versus what's obviously a lot of the damaging stuff that's out there. And of course, the experience, you know, you want the company to recognize who you are and what you're interested and not interested in. And part of the experience too is to surprise you and show you things that maybe you wouldn't have had. Maybe you would normally go into a filter bubble with certain places, but if you create a great experience, you you force the person not to have a filter bubble and you're constantly opening them up to new things. I think the music industry does that well and as does the, uh, the, the television industry. And that Torstar example is, is great because beyond the physical item of, of deodorant, the content side in terms of that virtual service, I have definitely noticed that as I get exposed to things that are relevant and of interest to me, so let's say a particular article that might show up on whether it is the Toronto Star Online or Business Insider or a, a destination that I at least believe has credibility in terms of professional quality created content, I get a few snippets, I get interested, and I guess it's that tipping point then for me to decide whether or not when it says, hold on a second, you've kind of reached your, to your point, free versus paid cap to make the decision to commit. And, you know, I have committed. I've committed more personally in the last, let's say, 18 to 24 months in terms of digital subscription, you know, investments than I had probably in the previous 10 years. Is that something that we're seeing? Is, is quality and paying for quality now, is it here to stay? I think so, but but it's up to the digital provider to make sure that they're they're really nailing those consumer points. Because if it's just an unlimited spigot, nobody has time in the day to consume unlimited content or receive unlimited goods. So you really have to find a way to curate without falling into those algorithm tracks. The rabbit hole, as I like to call it. Yeah, and look, you know, we we all know you know what happens with that. <laughs> hours and hours of time, dollars lost. And what's interesting is then you see the the pop-up of, of, of the, the business models that try and help you manage your subscriptions. So that's a whole other industry that's been essentially created from the subscription economy is the business of helping you manage your subscriptions. So uh, it's, it's probably a function of companies not doing a, a good enough job individually so that somebody has to step in the middle and provide that feature functionality. Fair point. Filling a void that should have been executed from day one. Yeah, well put. So the organizations we've talked about so far, Torstar, Native Deodorant, whatever they might be, they're large organizations. And yet we know that such a substantial portion of our economy is really the small business. And I think the last couple of years through pandemic times have really shown how much that can help or hurt your community, your city, your your country. How does digital transformation and what we're seeing in terms of those maybe consumer trends affect the small business? What's your take on that? Well, I, I think people um, are always, always over-engineering for the mid and large markets. And I think um, small businesses are very unique in, in the sense of, one, they don't have a lot of staff. Two, very often they don't even have a marketing person. It's the owner doing it all or the owner's cousin or neighbor or whatever. Three, they, they, there's no such thing as really CapEx. It's just cash. So they don't, they don't really build a lot of stuff in the digital world. Um, and sophistication, you know, they generally, they know the product or what they're trying to serve, but they're not that sophisticated in terms of the digital economy. And it's quite amazing how time again and again and again, people forget that or underestimate that and 
or just ignore it uh, entirely. And so if you're a small business owner, and I also happen to be a small business owner, I own a bunch of restaurants with some partners, it's bewildering. It, it is completely bewildering. You're stuck with doing a lot of the work yourself. You have to build your own shopping cart, your payment gateway, and then you got to figure out how to do Google and deal with that separately. Facebook, deal with that separately. Go do digital advertising, deal with that separately. Uh, try to figure out other social media, do that separately. Nobody in a small business world has time to do all that and run their business, and nobody is that sophisticated to be able to connect all those things. So I think that the people that are going to come on top in terms of helping small businesses are those that solve the real, tangible, pragmatic problem that a small business has. I don't have time. I don't have sophistication. I don't have people. I don't even have a marketing person. I don't have a lot of money. Someone who solves that is really going to take off. So everyone talks about this amazing Canadian platform called Shopify, but they only solve a part of the problem, right? They're a, they're a platform that essentially is the store. But to the points you just made around, I don't have time, I don't have a marketing person, I don't understand how to do Google in terms of putting search ads in market. Are you seeing anything interesting in that space around that services layer for the small business? Yeah, I think Shopify actually did a great job within a, a piece of that ecosystem. They took a piece of it and they did an unbelievable job. And then they partner you with, you know, how to go figure the rest of it out. And that it is a problem we saw globally. And we spent a lot of time looking around to see whether somebody has been clever enough to solve for it. We actually stumbled across a technology company and we've partnered with them in Canada. The solution is called marketing360.ca. And it literally takes all of those disparate services, puts them in one platform with one set of reports and one billing system and assigns you an account person that manages all that stuff and creates a common currency between all those things. So if you wanted to move a few more points into social or a few more points into digital or spend a bit more time on content for your, for your store, you very easily move things around. So what we, we've sort of democratized and Simplify massively simplified what was before a, a bewilderingly complex system. The people that generally gravitate to it in the small business space are exactly the kind of people I've been talking about who have tried to do it on their own and just pulled their hair out and given up. And once they get onto something like that, and, there, and there's probably others out there who are at this moment building something similar, I'm sure. But you know, once somebody in a small business realizes there's something that solves all those problems and they can spend most of their time now on on their core business. It's a, it's a great win-win uh, solution and they tend to stay for a long time. Yeah, and I think we're starting to see that exact model permeate into other areas of small business service and support. Example, I've even seen some stuff coming out of Intuit lately around not just providing the platform of a of an accounting software package online, but even having dedicated accountants or bookkeepers online yep. as part of the service. So it's a really, it's an interesting model. And I guess in theory, that could just apply to anything from sourcing of suppliers and manufacturers and inventory management, logistics, and really the business owner becomes more of a of a gatekeeper and an orchestrator of all of the different moving components as opposed to having to be, let's say, an expert in any one particular area. That's right. And, and I think that's bang on. And I think when people are looking to approach small businesses, if they think they're solving a problem, they're only helping mildly. If they think they're solving the problems, then they're going to they're gonna knock it out of the park. 
you're in, I guess, a bit of a transformative state yourself, having had some amazing success with the, I'd say, the transformation and evolution of one of Canada's legacy businesses and brands, the Toronto Star and Tour Star. Maybe talk a little bit about what you're doing now and where that's leading you into sort of new spaces, new ventures, and, and maybe new business models. Sure. You know, one of the things in the in my new role that I'm very focused on is looking for digital opportunities that didn't exist before. So looking for new business models, looking to uh, take traditional industries and find a new delivery mechanism for them, looking to leverage our infrastructure or our brand or our reach and, uh, and try to monetize those in a way that's never been monetized before. So a, a good example of that is, you know, we've declared, this is public information, so I don't mind sharing it, but we've declared that uh, Torstar will get into the sports betting and iGaming business. You might think that's really bizarre. Why are they doing that? Well, if you think of our assets and what's leverageable and what will be differentiated and competitive, you've got, um, you know, a company that's got uh, new sites with 10 million unique visitors. So that's every month. That's an incredible reach. You've got uh, a trusted brand and, you know, trust in that industry is going to be really important, especially when everything's online. You have no idea where everything's going. And you've got a whole bunch of content. You've got all this sports content, both on the, on the tour star side, but also in the new gaming venture, there'll be all kinds of sports betting content. And so Torstar's assets will be a huge advantage for the new gaming company. And of course, there'll be a commercial services agreement between the two organizations, a marketing agreement that monetize that for both sides. So you got for the new gaming company, a great platform to spin up, you know, a new gaming business with a big edge over everybody that has to start from zero. And for the Torstar company, you've got this marketing dollars coming in from the new sports betting company. And that money coming into Torstar obviously helps fund journalism and, you know, helps continue the viability of the fourth estate and even democracy. So, I mean, that sounds like a grand stretch, but mathematically, that's actually really how it's going to work and it is already starting to work. So the government's decriminalizing online casino and sports betting. And in Ontario, they're targeting for December for that all to launch. And so that's a very complex business that you got to build with the whole ecosystem of partners and, and content. And we're, we're hard at work at that right now. But it's, you know, it's a business that used to be bricks and mortar, right? And, um, and it's so much easier and has so much more reach, especially sports betting, not just casino in a, in a digital way. And, and similar, you know, we had all these assets that would, you know, deliver flyers to your door, a very legacy business. So you've got, all the trucking agreements, you've got warehouses, you've got depots, and you've got operations people and customer service people and systems. Well, if you look at those assets a little bit differently and say, well, why couldn't we be delivering parcels for the, you know, the explosion in e-commerce in the digital economy? And that's exactly what we've done. We've launched a parcel delivery business. And it's uh, very, very fast growing, as you can imagine. And it's also filling a huge void because the supply chain does not keep up with the demand that especially accelerated during COVID. So it's another way of looking at your same asset and thinking about how is this going to, these assets be leverageable in a, in a digital economy. So maybe my question wasn't the right question, because what I'm hearing is 
the future is maybe very much about repurposing assets to find opportunities to grow your business in areas that, to your point, you didn't even know to look in the first place, which, you know, goes along the lines of one of my general points on leadership. And, and as a as a team leader, and when you've got people on your team, it's often about getting them to think about ways to do things that they hadn't thought before by just simply asking questions that they didn't even know you could ask. So it's, you know, very aligned. Right. And, you got to be curious. You got to be very open minded. You've got to be, you got to be very creative. And I think the longer you're in a business or industry, the harder it is to see things differently. So bring in new people. I privatized a tour store last summer. We have two new owners and Paul Rivette and Jordan Bito, and they've come in and they, they see everything with fresh eyes. And it's really great. Because, you know, I'm, I'm relatively new, only been there three, four years. So everything with fresh eyes and you got to keep doing that, bringing people that you see the Rubik's cube one way, but they see it a completely different way. And it, it just provides so much excitement and creativity. It's, it's always fun to work in places where you got that happening. Yeah. And now you've got Torstar, a, a company and a brand that many Canadian consumers think of for one thing. And who knew that there's also a logistics business on the back end that might be delivering my next, who knows, Amazon package for all I know. <laughs> it will deliver your Amazon package for, for sure. It will. And in the meantime, you know, that particular part of the company, the news business, is is gone extremely digital, and we've really been uh, very very pleased with the digital subscriptions and the digital advertising side of our business. It's uh, it's growing really really fast. So there's a bit of a flywheel you can create too if you get this right. And most companies don't bother spending time thinking about how they create their own flywheel. And I would encourage anybody listening to spend some time this evening thinking about what is our flywheel. Because a lot of businesses are pretty linear and they're not really feeding off or excelling off each other. But in the Torstar case, the better the digital business does, the better these new businesses that will be leveraging them will do. And so that's the flywheel we're creating. Totally makes sense. So great background, great success. You're doing some really amazing things. I'm going to throw one last sort of wrinkle question in that you're not expecting, but you've obviously uh-huh. got such a breadth of knowledge and experience and understanding you're on top of so many different verticals businesses what's the source where do you go and how can you maybe help tip off my listeners around keeping abreast of everything that's going on like is it just innate in you or are there some secret ways that you're absorbing your own information are you listening to podcasts obviously mine are you reading books do you have any good subscriptions that you you pay or get for free a couple of tips on how people stay on top of all this stuff yeah, I think you need to read a lot and you got to be committed to reading a lot. And you, you can't let your, we all have friends, we all have family and we all have work. And then, you know, God forbid long commutes. So you got to, you got to institutionalize your information consumption. And I know that sounds stupid, but it's, it's like planned spontaneity, you know, it's, a, but you really do. And so in my particular case, for 30 years, you know, I get into the office at, you know, seven, seven fifteen. And I'll, I'll spend a good hour and a half consuming as much information as I can before I got to get to my first meeting. And similarly, on a Saturday or Sunday, I'll dedicate two hours to couch surfing, you know, just jump on the couch and grab three, four, five analyst reports or industry reports or whatever and try to learn. Because I think, you know, no matter what age you are and what industry you are, if you're not learning faster than everybody, uh, you're going to be challenged. And I, and I think, you know, information consumption is competitive. 
don't believe that it's not. There's everybody you work with is consuming information and trying to get better. Out consume them on information to get ahead. It's a very competitive world. So institutionalize it, block it off. Don't protect it. Don't let it get you know consumed by other things. But it's it's a competitive world out there for sure. So there everyone has it. When you block off an hour in your morning and your boss says, why can't you join me in that meeting? You can say, John Boyton said, I have to institutionalize and block off so that I can make sure I am ahead of the game. You heard it here first. So I, I do think it's a it's a great point. And I've had another guest, Jed Schneiderman, actually, who said the same thing. He literally cal- oh, yeah. calendarized his content consumption in his day. So yeah, yeah. I don't know when you're going to do it because there's always an excuse and there's always a reason and there's always something you think you missed and need to get to. So yeah, you got to protect it. No, I, I appreciate that tip. And I think everyone else will. And I see a lot of 9am calendar blocks going in right now. So John Boynton, again, uh, <laughs> such a, a pedigree of experience, but again, former CMO at Rogers, CMO at AIM, president and CEO at Torstar, and, and now vice chair and president of digital at Nordstar, doing some amazing things, innovating, changing business models, using <laughs> infrastructure for delivery of flyers for now delivering my Amazon package. And I can't wait to see what your foray into the gaming space is going to be because I'm sure it'll have the golden touch and, and be an amazing success. Uh, John, thank you yeah, so we, much for being with me. My pleasure. And yeah, uh, looking love, forward to it. Fun. Awesome. Have okay. a great night. Thanks, John. You've been listening to Fine Tune. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can connect with me on Twitter at CFine, through LinkedIn at CorbyFine, or visit my website, CorbyFine.com. Fine Tune is produced by me, Corby Fine. Thanks for listening.